Welcome to the Career Pathways Podcast. Hello, I'm Pat Lynch. Along with me, as usual, are the, my two teammates. Gavin Brunson. And... Can't really hear me over here, but I'm Jason. Way back with the soundboard, making the magic happen, Jason Nichols, as always, as we fondly call him Producer Jason. Uh, today, in the Career Pathways Podcast... We have Dr. James Martell, Associate Professor of English and Dramatic Studies. Uh, it's kind of French. It's mostly like French and comparative literature, something like that. Okay, so <laughs> I, I started out and I already got it completely wrong. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, this is uh, going to be a really great podcast because we had a fascinating individual here with, with Dr. Martell. Start us out, you know, kind of tell us about a little about yourself, like kind of your your life story, if you will. Oh boy, that's yeah, that's gonna take more than one hour. Uh, we got time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I guess like I'm the product of a you know a strange like geographical configuration, if you will. I'm from Mexico City, uh, and Mexico being so close to the United States, like we always had like this relation to the U.S. My mother lived in the, the U.S. as well for a while. So, and then in, in Mexico, kind of like the U.S. as well, we got this, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century and 19th century, had a lot of immigration. So my family comes from like Spain and France and so on, mm -hmm. uh, besides also like Native American, Native Mexican. So, so all of those kind of things played, I think, the role of, of me being here in the sense that I learned English very young, at a very young age, and in uh, in Mexico, you when you go to school, you have to, like many countries, you have to take English since you're a kid, right? And my my school was particularly strong on that. Just like you, we had like an extra year of just English and so on. So I had like a pretty bilingual kind of education, uh, and then the next language that you start learning after that would be French, uh, and then but I didn't learn until later. I did my after high school and so on, uh, which I had terrible grades and I almost plunked everything because I was playing pool all the time uh, and drinking beer. Uh, <laughs> after that, when I got to college, uh, college in Mexico is different than mm -hmm. the US, right? Kind of like in Europe, like we don't have like majors and minors. Like that's kind of more like high school where you have like these like majors and minors and then also kind of areas. So like, say if you were gonna go to English, you will have like an English kind of like leaning concentration, very little common core. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you go to college, that is like, there's no common core. That is you, you know, you do all, I did philosophy. So it was like all philosophy. There's a little, like some electives, uh, but they are related to. So mine were literature oriented. I've always been between philosophy and literature. Um, and yeah, I did that. And then after that, I wanted to come to the US and I, my English wasn't that great at the time because I, it was rusty and I had no French. Um, and I got offered to go and study Hispanic literature at the University of Kansas. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I, while I was doing the, the master's in, Hispan in Spanish or Hispanic literature and teaching Spanish as a, as a way of paying for it, I, I learned French. So I just started like on my own and started learning French and so on. I was always, like, I was already working on French philosophy. So it was kind of easy to do that. And then after that, I, one, I had French. I was like, now I can go and do what I wanted, which was to do a comparative literature degree, right? And and I got accepted in a couple of places. I ended up going to the University of Notre Dame, and then there, when I got there, I was like, oh, let's, you know, I'm gonna do mostly French. And my advisor, who you guys might know, at least you know the last name. His name was he passed recently, Joe Bujiki. Mm -hmm. He's the father of Pete. Exactly. Yeah. He's uh, uh, he was a scholar of Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, um, and yeah, he was, he was a fantastic guy. Like I really loved him, and he told me when I was like, "Oh, I, you know, want to focus on French." He's like, "No, no, you should learn German." <laughs> and, and I was like, "But I want to practice." Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And he he sent me to Berlin, so I learned German there, um, and then yeah, and then I came back, and then you know. Uh, comparative literature is, uh, and this is to answer also when you said you, you were not wrong about my title. It's just that my title is changing right now. Yes. Um, 
But when I came back, I had another professor who was like, it's great that you work on all these languages, but since this is a career podcast, uh, he said, but you're not going to get a job. Nobody's going to yeah. hire you as a complete person. Those are very few jobs in the country. And they tend to be like only at like Ivy League. Like, mm -hmm. I need, and they are like disappearing. It, 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 this is not going to happen. Um, so he was like, you need to focus on French. Like, mm -hmm. you need to really just like make your CV like I am a French professor, like mm -hmm. straightforward. So that's what I did. Um, but it was hard to compete with people who didn't. Cause my, my PhD was comparative literature, right? I, there are people with French like PhDs completely. So it was hard to compete with them. So when I got the, when I saw the job here, it was, it was very interesting because it was like teach most or like all of the French courses from, you know, little ones to the advanced ones, but to help with the Spanish uh, program as well and with English. Mm -hmm. So it kind of fit really well. So, so I applied and I got the interview, like the campus visit. And I don't know how much you guys have talked about, like how the academic market, like how is the process, right? Like it's very long, um, you know, besides the, the applications and a big material and dossier thingy, uh, you also have to like do like Zoom interviews and then like campus interviews. And, you know, after all that, I, I got the job, uh, but then we had different changes. Uh, for our personnel here uh, we used to have two french faculty members me and, and another uh, person um so then we we lost one of them so i became the de facto like just french person and also since i, I i'm very interdisciplinary i've taught classes cross-listed with philosophy with art so i you know i was like where where do i fit better where, where can i help serve better so that's why like my title officially is still mm -hmm. professor of romance language yes uh, but it's changing to something like professor of French and comparative literature because I teach so many classes in the English uh, program as well. And, and the film minor as well. Goodness. So, <laughs> so with, um, with the English classes, what classes are those? So usually the one that I have the most, it will be our uh, world literature, which is the one that the Jason is in. Um, I also, like next semester I will teach, it will be the second time, uh, I teach uh, a creative writing workshop because I, I, I do write narratives as well. So I, I was asked to do that once and you know, happy to do it again. I, I tend to cross-list a lot of classes too, right. right? Because I love my French students and I love teaching French, but the problem is if you say, if you want I mean, to like take French, right? Like you take mm -hmm. like semester one, semester two, semester three, semester four, it wouldn't be until your third year that you are ready to take like an advanced class, mm -hmm. right? So I, the things that I teach, I teach a lot about gender studies. I teach a lot about uh, philosophy and, and literature and so on. And I want for everybody to be able to benefit from that. Cinema, we want to have a horror film class, French horror film class next semester. So I cross-listed. So in a way that if you are a French major, you come to the class, you read in French. Uh, the class is in English, but you read in French, you write in French, and I correct all that. But then if you're an English major, or, or even like just any major, like, doesn't matter what major you are. You want to take a class on right. French horror or French theory or, like, French novels, you know, you can come to my class. So I cross-list with English a lot. Depending on the, the exact class, it might be cross-listed with special topics, which is mm -hmm. the most open. Uh, I've done that with, like, French feminism um, and French art. Or it could be, like, in, a, in the next year, I'm going to do one on French film theory, so it will be with a critical theory. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Um, I'm, I'm a mod in discipline, so, <laughs> yeah. But it's a perfect fit for a college like Lyon, where uh, it's so much, you know, we, liberal arts is just so far-ranging, and, and, and just the, the wider that, uh, the learning and instruction that you can receive, then just, it just helps in all, you know, all those areas, no matter what profession you choose, how to, how to read, how to write, how to think, how to appreciate, you know, and and uh, and understand others and different points of view, and uh, and that, yeah, I mean, just all the different areas that you're covering, perfect for a place like mine. Yeah, no, I think it works very well, and I think it, I, it's funny because throughout the '80s and '90s, like this thing called like comparative literature was very big, and you had many programs going on, right? right? And they were distinguished from, you know, your French, your Italian, your German, like, by language programs. Um, but they, like, that kind of started disappearing. 
Uh, we also have in, in, in my field, we talk about the crisis of the humanities and that's, you know, something that has to do with, you know, colleges focusing more on STEM, STEM, STEM. Um, and that's a long history that we can talk about later, <laughs> right? But the funny thing is like, if you're a comparative literature, you, you would not be able to get a job usually because that, those jobs per right. se don't exist that well, um, unless it's Yale or Harvard. I, they actually will fit in a, in a liberal arts college because here exactly, like I can, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert on a particular field, obviously like, you know, like I'm an expert on two guys, uh, Samuel Beckett, the writer, and Jacques Derrida, the thinker. So I've taught once here a class on Beckett. So those students benefited of like my maximum nerdiness, right? At <laughs> that moment, right? right. Um, I would love to teach one on Jacques Derrida one day. I might be a little too complex, but, but at the same time, like, yes, like, you know, something that is very exciting right. about this is that I, I get to learn, right? So like I see students, like when I taught the, the French feminism class was because I saw, like, I, like students approached me, they were like, hey, do you work feminism? And I was like, a little bit. They were like, could you teach a class on it? And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I, I, I can do that. Um, and then, so I learned through that, right? And that informs, like I'm, I'm, I'm really big into research. Like I, right. I write books, I'm, I, I edit collections. And, and th what students ask me to do and their opinions, like, because they're, you know, young and fresh, right. like, they made me, like, you know, see new points of view from different points of view, and, and they, like, en enrich my own research. So it's kind of, like, very synergic, again, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And it fits really well, um, again, paradoxically, right, for somebody who comes not from a discipline that is, like, well, you're going to do, like, I don't know, like, inorganic chemistry, that's all you do, and, like, don't yeah. you dare, you know, which lane. So that is, yeah, I, I think it does fit really well. I have to ask, uh, French feminism, how mm -hmm. would that uh, class be taught and how would that be different than feminism seen from an American perspective or from, a, a, you know, some other parts of Europe or Asia? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there is a tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that, and and, and it's, it's mostly that, right? It's like American tradition. I don't know actually that well the American tradition. I know it a little bit. But the French tradition is very strong in the 20th century. And that's mm -hmm. my, my area, 20th century, right? So you got like mostly the first one will be like Simone de Beauvoir in the 40s, right in the second sect. That is kind of like the first wave, more or less, of French feminism. Uh, very existential, like based. Simone de, Bo de Beauvoir. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She was the, yeah. the lover of Jean-Paul Sartre, which was like the mm -hmm. center, right, of, of intellectual right. life. Um, and then after that, in the 60s, just as in the U.S., you also have like a big tradition that begins with people like Hélène Sixou, who's still alive. And then uh, you get other writers like Monique Wittig and so on. Um, what happens that is interesting there is that the French are, you know, in some ways, they're very progressive, very, progressive, very liberal. In other ways, they're not, right? So when uh these fem this french feminism start happening they start influencing america right yeah. but then for example when you talk about like lesbian feminism or like trans feminism then they are a little more conservative yeah. so some of the 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 thinkers from france actually came to the u.s so they left france right right and then after that theory starts getting to the u.s and you get people like judith butler and like queer theory they start thinking about it there, then they go back to France, yeah. right? So then you have a new wave of thinkers in France. Uh, so, so that's how I did it. I did it with that. And then, you know, right now, for example, the two, until a couple of years ago, it has changed a little bit, but the two most famous French writers, like if you talk about like numbers, like, like, mm -hmm. like of, 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 of the books, the authors that were bought the most, right, in France, were uh, Virginie Despens and uh, a guy called Michel Houellebecq. Michel Beck is a very controversial guy. He's very interesting novels. He talks a lot about uh, kind of like toxic masculinity and right. like cultural issues in France, especially with like, like Muslim population. He got in trouble right now because there was always kind of the feeling that he had some like bad political tendencies, right. but he was very quiet. Like he was like, no, no, it's like, you know, it's just, it's a feeling. But it came out recently. So <laughs> that finally, after so many years, like, you know, burned him a little bit. Uh, but, but, but Virginie Despont, she, uh, she's one of those writers, like, not like, you know, here in the U.S. where you do like, a, like an MFA and like, there's right. not that tradition. It's more like, you know, people who live, people who, they might go to school for one thing or other, but it's not like, like you don't go to school per se, right? 
So she like was this young and smart person and started like she, I think she did a BA or something. But then after that, she actually uh, she worked as a in 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 sex work. She she worked as a prostitute for a little bit, and then she wrote a novel about it. Uh, and that novel was very very successful. It was made into a movie, and then uh, she started she kept writing and she writes these like very interesting pieces. And and she right now is like she's an author. She's been for many years an author. Uh, but but that's like. The, one of the most successful writers in France, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you get to see this how feminism still plays a role uh, in French culture uh, strongly. And the last, uh, up to, to this year, last year's Nobel uh, Prize of Literature was Annie Arnaud, who's French as well, and who's also a, a woman, the second woman, uh, the first French woman who wins the Nobel Prize of Literature, and who deals also with the experience of you know of, of womanhood as a writer, right? So. So that's how I pitch it. Like it's, it's in French culture, is 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 feminism is kind of something that is always at yeah. stake, right? It's it's, it's uh, even if you are not teaching a class on right. feminism, it's gonna pop up yeah. uh, because of just the culture in general. In in France, are they experiencing the same level of culture wars like we have here in the United States in that area? Oh God, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> so yes and no, right? Well, it's different, right? Yeah. So the main thing that France goes through right now, and there was a, an attack, for example, uh, two days ago. Nothing as bad as, thankfully, France doesn't have as many guns as we do. Yeah, it was a stabbing. Mm -hmm. was yes, it was yeah. a stabbing and a hammering. Um, so just to tell you a quick anecdote about like the difference in the term. I took uh, French some students um, to Marseille uh, and Paris a couple of years ago. And they went out at night to have a beer or something. And then next morning, they were like telling me, like, like Dr. Martel. We saw a guy like a, a guy who got shot. And I was like, "What? Yeah, yeah, we saw a guy who got shot." And I was like, "That? No, that didn't <laughs> happen. Like, you probably saw some somebody hurt, but yeah. they didn't get shot." And they're like, "Why not?" It's like because there are no guns here. Yeah, right, right. And literally, we we found the 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 newspaper later, and and he was I think he was fine. He got stabbed. Yeah, right. Like like that's kind of a thing. But um, to answer your question, like for example, France. If you look at Twitter, like French Twitter, which is what I work on sometimes, like what you see is more, they are still struggling with you know, the, the, the inheritance of their colonialism, right? Yeah. And part of it was especially what they did in North Africa. Yeah. And part of it is that after their colonial pursuits and that, that, that finished, especially with Algeria, they, you know, they granted citizenship to their citizens there, which was a good thing to do. Uh, but then... France is a very, very secular society, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they were very Catholic for a long time, but they then became like part of their, their pride is being secular. So when you get population who are coming, like especially Muslims, right. that makes them really nervous, right? So you get, there are amazing, beautiful, like, like I'm, you know, one of those, like all for like the integration of the Muslim population in, in France. And, and, and I had, I live in the, in the banlieue, the, the suburbs, mm -hmm. so like, most of my neighbors were from different places. It was very cosmopolitan right. in that sense, uh, especially from North Africa. But a lot of people, like the same as we have like white nationalism here in the U.S., you will have some kind of like yeah. white fear of like you know uh, not only the other continental wise but also like religious wise, right? Yeah, well, Marine Le Pen. Is oh, yes, Marine yeah. Pen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but that's that's yeah. It was kind of fringe, but then all of a sudden now she started getting a significant. Yeah, uh, following. Yeah, I mean that's also part of the state of the world, right? Like when you get, right. you know, you can link it to Putin, you can link it to Orban uh, in Hungary, right? Um, the thing with France is that usually, at the end, because they have like two rounds of elections, right? Uh, so at the beginning, there's like a lot of like, and they don't have two parties; they have many mm -hmm. parties, right? So at the beginning, there's obviously like a lot of struggle, blah, 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 blah. and then you know the left, there's like the very, there's like the Communist Party, there is like the very left, there is like the Green Party. And then, you know, they get really angry at each other. But then when, like, they count the votes and the second turn is going to be Le Pen, right. they, that scares the bejesus yeah. out of everybody, <laughs> right? So that's when they unite right, and they're right. like, no, right. <laughs> no. Um, but it's true. Uh, Le Pen, Marie is the daughter of, of, of the original Le Pen, who was, at some point, they were like straight forward fascism, right? right? Um, and she's smart. And, like, right now, for example... With the war in Israel uh, and Gaza in Palestine, like it's funny because she starts like leaning towards Israel and trying to defend Israel, but then her followers, a lot of them, are anti-Semites, 
So it starts creating this like weird, yeah. like what is happening, right? Right. So the cultural wars, to answer your question, are, are different in that sense. Um, they are similar up to a point, right? Like there's a fear of neo-fascism, neo-Nazism. Uh, there are also there's also racism, there's also sexism. But at the same time, like for example, we are up to a point, right? We might be, like we in the US see ridiculous when, when people, I don't know if you guys remember the Burkini, like remember yeah. the right yeah the where they about what uh, Muslims could were allowed to wear on beaches exactly yeah. right so it's like it's like a it's like swimsuit but it covers the face right. like the burqa and in France at some point they were making it illegal and they were like taking it away from yeah yeah Why? because exactly <laughs> for to us sounds ridiculous right? right but to them and I'm not justifying it I'm just following the logic right. to them is is this secularization right like if you go to school any like religious symbol is forbidden. Right, because what they're trying to do is, you know, the the, the motto of, of the French Republic is like fraternité, égalité, right? So it's like to keep everybody equal, right? It's like, well, we go to school, we don't have any sign of distinction, we're all the same, right? So if anything religious starts popping up, they are like nervous about that, right? right. And then you got you, you probably remember, I don't know if you guys remember, you're too young, but like the Je suis Charlie, like the attack at the Charlie right. Hebdo, yeah, right? Like that's that's very strong in in in, that, in 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 france like it's, it's it's a very difficult thing um because obviously you want to be an open society open culture you also want to embrace like like france thinks of themselves as universal right mm -hmm. but then uh, they also think that the freedom of expression you know it's a big question that is i'm not an expert right but like when when does it trump um respect for a religion, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, the representation of Prophet Muhammad is what created the attack, right? So anyway, that's kind of like to, not, <laughs> we're not gonna solve it today. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you yeah, to have questions? Well, yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. But um, basically what like the process of becoming a professor and your journey through all of that, how did, what, what stands out to you in all of that? Up. That's a, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I'll tell you, like, 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 I think I will have given you another answer usually, but I, like, now that I've talked about it, I thought about it more um, as, you know, I got in old and, and seeing like how life changes. I'll tell you like the, 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 the most difficult part about it is that we live still in a very anti-intellectual society, right? So we like, it's, it's not like, like our society is trying to like, you know, uh, pay a lot of money to teachers or to professors or like open these things is like it, rather we see it as uh, a thing that some people do and that makes it that is scarce right like mm -hmm. you, you know sometimes professors will tell you uh, to their students like hey you guys are lucky to be here and have this opportunity and honestly I like usually I, I used to think like oh that's just like you know a nice thing to say but no we are we are all really lucky uh, so that is the thing that I didn't know when I began this this journey I didn't know that that was gonna be the case because I come from Mexico, which has many problems in different ways, mm -hmm. but we don't have a tradition of anti-intellectualism, right? Like, so we never see it as, you know, like obviously like we get angry at like rich people, like, hey, you know, like we need more fairness and like pay us <laughs> more and so on. But we never connect like, oh, it's the elites is the rich and the intellectual. We never connect that, right? To, to us professors, are, I remember like one of my favorite professors, like I, I would look at his shoes and they were like very torn. Right, like I saw his clothes, and he was—he was a good university, but I never connected that with like, oh, you're a privileged person, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, so getting a job right now for people like me, especially in the humanities, mm -hmm. it's like winning the lottery because there are so few, yeah. um, so, 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 so few, and and you have to specially fight for the right to learn things that are not only to get a job, but just to, as you were saying, like you know. Uh, become a critical thinker and think beyond things, right? So I, when I tell students, like, you should learn French, right? Sometimes it's like, well, how, what, what job am I going to get? It's like, that will help you get a job, but also because it's just going to open your mind and your life to many things, right? So that is the biggest challenge, I'll say. That is what, what I think uh, for my friends who teach at, like, Ivy Leagues, to my friends who teach at, like, community college or high schools, like, we all struggle with this, like, uh, like like uphill battle of like this is important right uh and and we not that i you know every, obviously i would love to be paid more <laughs> we all would do but 
but just like you know being appreciated more as like like the foundation of the society right. that's kind of what comes up to me as like the, the hardest thing which translates in very you know i applied when i came to lyon i applied to 80 jobs that year right that was the third year that i applied mm. right and i know friends who you know are adjunct right? i was not like i don't know if you guys know the distinction about adjuncts like, I, more yeah. you do yep. well i yeah. am <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so i yeah. before i got this job i got was an adjunct at three universities and i had to commute uh to teach different places just to make i think i was making maybe sixteen thousand a year mm. To do that, yeah. Uh, yeah. how did did like from from like a college on? Were you, was your goal always to be a professor, or did you entertain like other th you know other professions? That's a great question. Uh, I I wanted to be a writer. That was my thing. Well, and you are, and I am yeah, in some yeah. way. Yeah, but I wanted yeah. to be like 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 Jason, yeah. like a fiction writer. Like I wanted to be like to write novels and and right. and, and do that. Um. I honestly like also was very like we all are sometimes like very naive, and I thought mm -hmm. I just get a job at a high school in Mexico, and I would just like yeah. you know become a writer, and then one day become the new you know uh, uh, I don't know uh, Octavio Paz, the famous Mexican mm -hmm. writer. Um, but then like you know life like it was like okay, so if when I did my masters was like now you get a salary right, which was like twelve thousand dollars a year. But you get a salary and you get out of your parents' house and you go right. to another country. So I did like, okay, I'll do that in the meantime. I'll keep writing. Um, I also, because I didn't do literature as, a, as an mm -hmm. undergraduate, I did philosophy. I started getting more and more into philosophy. Um, and I discovered that I, I love literature, uh, but I don't think I'm a great writer like of literature. Right. Like, right. I, I'll, I'll teach you well, I promise. <laughs> I'll try <laughs> my best. But like, I think, I think I'm a better like theory writer. Like I, I think, like, and my life has taken me the like, the way I have been successful writing philosophy and theory is way bigger than the way I have been successful writing. Right. And, and also because it's just so difficult for me. Like I, writing, I wrote, I've written three novels and I like them. I haven't published them all, but it's like, it takes me a while. It's like it takes a lot of thinking, and it's just while I write books like of theory very very easily. Um, mm -hmm. so. That took me into into you know becoming more and more and more of what we call a theory guy, and uh, yeah, and then like and then but when I realized it, I was you know like my dad uh, he used to call me like his philosopher that was like his, his title to me, and I think he was right. I was like I think that's what really got me, and and I, and I am pretty much uh, yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> um. So throughout. Throughout your journey, mm -hmm. out of everything that's you've absorbed, um, what is one lesson that has really impacted you and that you learned that really defined you and who you are and made you open your eyes and see, yeah, this is me. Ooh, ooh, ooh tough one. <laughs> ooh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I'll, okay, I can give you two. I can, I can give you the one that I write in my like teaching statement when I have to. <laughs> To do, uh, do applications for things. The one that I ran my teaching statement is this one. Uh, it's this professor that I mentioned, we were taking a class with him on Hegel. He's like one of the most difficult philosophers ever. And our head was spinning. It was just very hard to understand, right? And, uh, and it was about a concept called sense perception, which is how do you understand the, the objects in relation to your own subjectivity. Very complex thing. Anyway, a guy then in the middle, a student, just got, got, got fed up with it. He was like, hey, I just don't get it. Why are we learning this? This is useless. This is like, right? Like, I want to get a job. And, and this professor just said, like he's, he's, he's like, he's like, if you don't understand that at the end of the day, like all these difficult process, like all this understanding, like one of the most difficult concepts of philosophy, right? Is for you just to open the question of why would you feel that you are a better person or a better subject because you are here at a university than somebody who cannot be here? Right? Like, if you don't, if you cannot make that connection, he was like, I cannot help you. And to me, like, mark me, that was like, kind of like, because I, I, I love the abstract world of ideas and it was very all cool. But I, when I understood, like, I really respected this guy. I, I do, he's, he's fantastic. And I saw how he was connecting it, like, all of these, like, the most abstract thoughts that you can have at the end of the day have to do with your, how you conceive of your place in the world. Right? Um, so that's the one that I, I mentioned in my cover letters. And the, the one that is more for myself that is related to, to this is that, uh, and I have a tattoo of it, is that uh, my tattoo says this, 
it's, it, it comes from a I'm 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 an atheist agnostic, but but it comes from a theologian, funny enough, and it says that those there are those who will understand that their soul comes from outside, it's not to them, right? And to me, that's kind of a big question. Like again, I'm 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 not religious, right? So I don't conceive of a god. I conceive rather that what we call soul or what I call soul is like the kind of what you all do around me. Like what everybody does around me is what constitutes me and marks me. And that's the healthiest way for me to think of my own self because that is what makes me care. That's what makes me like, you know, like anything that I do, right? Like, um, or anything that we do, right? Like what is it worth if it's just for ourselves? Right, like uh, Jason is in one of my classes right now, where we had the chance to um, uh, talk to an author. We're gonna have to talk to an author tomorrow, and she's a uh, fiction writer, but writes a lot about horror up to a point. And she says, like, the scariest thing, the mo- the biggest monster, right, is is to be alone, to be isolated, right? So to me, that is kind of the thing, like, it, like the lesson of, you know, opening yourself to the other, which is a scary mm-hmm. as hell, right? <laughs> but but doing it truly and be like. Because that, that's the only way of getting rid of the, the worst impulses that we have, right? Like racism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, any, any kind of phobia. Like it's this kind of getting rid of that fear of like, hey, like, you know, we, we are not closed entities. We're all like kind of this flux thingy, right? <laughs> so, so let's just like, like this. Let's do something cool and symbiotic and talk to each other and, and create something. Uh, you mentioned tattoos. Yes. So, yeah, we have now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, your book, book Tattoo Body. Yes. Uh, it, uh, this is like your, you writing it as far as like more in theory about uh, as far as the whole concept of body art and what it, it uh, represents. So kind of how did you evolve there? Because, you know, a father, you know, uh, proud uh you know, you know father of a daughter that uh i had to kind of begrudgingly <laughs> follow her through her tattoo journey you know? <laughs> yeah. first one screaming yelling <laughs> second one that kind of looks oh, all right third <laughs> but can you stop there third one fourth one you yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so the story goes but i i finally had an appreciation yeah for what she was trying to do which was self expression yeah you know, where I just thought, oh, this is a mistake that's permanent, goodness, you know, I, but then I really grew to just, you know, kind of embrace that, okay, this is, this is how she yeah. wants to express herself. And, and I started seeing body art very differently. Yeah. And uh, be interested in, in your thoughts on that because yeah. you, you created a wonderful book on this and studied it a lot further than, uh, than I ever have. I mean, I think you have as much as I do in some way. Like, I, so just clarification: I didn't write that book a alone. Um, I co-edited that book. All right. So it does have an article from me. Yes. Uh, but again, talking with related to what you, what I answered to your question, right? We're talking about here. Um, it's a collective work, so it has scholars from. Uh, the, I think one is in in, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we have one in. People in the UK, one in Arkansas. We have different people doing, and we have also different disciplines. Right. I have anthropologists. I have literary scholars. I have a French professor at Brown. So it's a different places. Just, just a clarification, yeah, right? Perfect. Um, but so I, my chapter is very nerdy. It's very much in people who work on Derrida and Deleuze, particular authors, right? Um, but what I, what I saw is what you're saying that is very important, right? Like it is about self-expression, right? And like there's one article there that I, I don't know the person like in person. She's an anthropologist, but I think it summarizes really well in relation mm-hmm. to the, what you're saying, right? It, the, and her article is about I, I really recommend you guys to read it. It's really interesting. It's about this group of uh, nomads uh, in uh, around the Middle East. I, I forget exactly what area, right? Uh, but her article conjoins like their their tattoo practice, which is dying, with climate change or the climate crisis rather. And with um, like cultural things, because this group of nomads will for for ages they in their movements right they will run into gypsies, and the gypsies will give the women just the women tattoos. So be like here you go, and so if you are a grandma, you will tell your daughter, and then they will have this tattoo <laughs> something, right? 
now because climate change like that the, the path that they go has pushed them more into muslim communities so they have been incorporated by muslim communities which at least in that line have a prohibition against tattoos right right so they have stopped doing right uh so it's disappearing so this this document in this book is beautiful because it, it and it has pictures it talks about this disappearing tradition of female tattooing right because it was also like female gypsies giving it to, to women and what i love about it is that yes there are like deep meanings about the tattoos up to a point like it has to do with maps it has to do with territories and lands and so on but at the end one of them is this old woman just says like it's sad because they made me feel pretty yeah. right yeah and I, and I think it's like, you know, I see students like in the U.S., I think we're, we're way more accepting of tattoos than France. Right. Uh, <laughs> in France, it's seen as like more like like blue collar, low class. And I got some like discussions with my friends about it. Yeah. But well, you, yeah, my father's day was the drunk navy, uh, yes. drunk sailor. Yes. Went out for a night and came home. With, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, with yeah. Well, my, yeah. my, my dad hated my <laughs> tattoos. My yeah, it was only until the end of his life at some point that he was like, they look cool. And I was like, well, now I have my whole arm. Like, of course. Well, can we, would you be mind if, could we see, see your slaves? Sure. I just have to like. Do ah. <laughs> All right. The, the matrix right there, though. Oh, wonderful. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So how did how did that progress? Oh, so this one is um, so at some point I wanted to sleep. I was like, I I want to sleep, sleep. Mm -hmm. And this is a painting. Uh, it's a copy of a painting by a guy called Valerio Dami, that one of the guys I work the most on, Jacques Derrida, which I have the signature around here. Mm -hmm. Um, he made so like this this painting. I I work a lot on. I'm very interested in the relation between images and text, mm -hmm. right? Like work a lot on art and aesthetics. So, so this, this, this painter, he's, he's still alive actually, um, he at some point read a, a text that is very important that I work on called Gla by Derrida, who passed uh, in 20 years ago. And he got inspired and made this painting, right? So Derrida had it at his house and so on, and it was just a painting. So when I wanted the, the sleeve, I was like, I'm just gonna pr print the painting, yeah. fold it, right? Like around my arm and get it there. So I went with a tattoo artist in Little Rock here. I don't think, I don't know where he is. I don't think he's there anymore. But I went there and I was like, hey, he had done, uh, I have a whale here that he had done. So I was like, I want, I want this. And it's very funny to me because, you know, we see tattoos as like a hip thing and like a, mm -hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say liberal, but like at least a kind of like non-conservative, like it's kind of like cool thing to do, right? Um, up to a point. <laughs> and this guy had like tattoos all over his face. And he was like, remember when I was like, okay, I want to do this now. And he's like, no. And I was like, yeah. I was like, why? Why not? And he's like, like, no, it's like, no, man. And I was like, why not? He's like, it's just, it's, it's red. And I was like, so in my mind, I was like, is there like, I don't know, maybe there's more lead in the yeah. red one? Is there like, was, is there something particular about lead, like red, lead, red paint that he's like, no, no. He's like, he's like, well, and, and then I understood what he meant. He's like, it's going to be hard because you bleed. Mm -hmm. And when you're bleeding red, it's hard to cover it, right? Because it's like, I cannot see what I'm doing. Right. So I was like, at some point, I was like, well, I'm going to take my business complete. I was like, yeah. you don't want He's like, no, no, I fine, I'll do it. He wasn't that happy about it, but he did it. Um, but like, what, what is funny to me there is that even though, you know, he's very hip and had like tattoos everywhere and so on, he, he got really traditional there. Yeah. He was like, this is not a traditional tattoo. I do not appreciate this. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's a painting and usually the people really like, you know, it, it, it calls the attention of people all, all over the world. Um, I love that tattoos are like begin like like breaking the ice with me. Mm -hmm. like, all around the world, I get people who like talk to me, like well, they approach me because they see something interesting. And like and that opens a conversation sometimes or, or, just, or they're just like, hey, cool thing, man. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it feels nice. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like it's one of the authors I've been working on for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, when you dedicate your life so much to something, right. it's, it's very important. I like also that it's a fish. So it's, it's abstract, but you can see that there is a fish there, mm -hmm. right? Because I like fishing uh, and uh, yeah, I like the style and I like, I like the weirdness of it. <laughs> so uh, I, I've been thinking about doing something color-wise here too, right. but I also like, like things that are asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe I, I won't. 
your the Sorry. go ahead, Jason. Okay. I, I try to give one more. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm. So no, no for that. I mean, Japan is very interesting, right? Because for them, especially in the, I think since the 19th century, it's it, tattoos are a synonym of of the mafia of the yakuza, yeah. right? But <coughs> but like but Japanese folks, and they were very kind when I when I went to Japan two years ago. I was there. I was lucky enough to be there for like three weeks. I was there in Tokyo, Osaka, and a tiny, tiny town. And even in a tiny, tiny town, they were all like very kind people, very, very, very funny, and they tolerated my three words of Japanese. <laughs> uh, but they, I saw that they were like, I, I didn't feel like you know judged or discriminated at all. But I talked to them about. It. So at some point, I, I mentioned it, and and, and one of them, uh, the, this this uh, restaurateur of a tiny restaurant there in that tiny town, he was like, he was like, no, it's like it's cool because you are foreign. It's like, if you were not foreign, like if you were breaking the rules here, like then, then we'll have a different discussion. Then maybe mm. we won't, like, I don't know if they will, I never saw a sign says like no tattoos, but, right. and I got a tattoo in, in, in Japan. Where is it? Where is it? Where is your blowfish? Um, <laughs> it's a blowfish? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's right. Right. Yeah, so much. He's so angry. Because <laughs> they're going to, I got it and then I went and, eat, and ate some. It was great. Did, did that give you membership to the Yakuza? I hope so. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But so, but I said, so no, I didn't have anything like that. I mean, you know, my, my brother hated my tattoos. Uh, but then when I became a scholar and I wrote a book about it, I said, well, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like my brother asked my wife, they're just like, don't do the face. Just don't do the face. Yeah. But no, but I mean, like, what you, your question reminded me of something else, which is like, I have not been discriminated for my tattoos in other cultures, but I do remember more like class discrimination. Like I enter, I enter a store, a hat store in Belgium, where I just entered. Or I was like, I was like you, you guys age. Like I had like a hoodie, I was just like chilling, <laughs> and the guy is like, and the guy like you know just nice like suit. He's like, excuse me, and I was like, oh, I'm just here to look at the hat. He's like, do you have an appointment? And I was like, no, but the door says <laughs> open. And he's like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So anyway, not wearing tattoos, but more because I look poor. <laughs> so um when you were getting your tattoos did you have to worry anything about like like position of the tattoos i know i think it's i think it's japan it's like mm -hmm. the head of the dragon has to be faced a certain way or something like that or like mm -hmm. were you did you ever have to run into that where you had to do extensive research and be like okay let me make sure that i'm not like offending anybody and uh no i mean I don't know if you guys have watched Ink Master or any of those shows about tattoos, right? They do, as, as this guy in, in Little Rock, like, even though they, you know, they look very hip and cool, they do have these traditions that are very, uh, I don't know if they're like, you know, they, they have prohibitions because of like symbols. Like I have, okay, I have many stories there, but to, to, to go to one, right? Like, like, for example, they will tell you like, oh, the face has to, you know, face always like in or out. Mm -hmm. But I think that's more of a aesthetic thing that they, you know, want to do. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who he has, has tattooed me quite a bit uh, in Mexico. He's, he's, a, he's a good uh, uh, shout out to Tenku. Uh, he sees, watches this video. Um, Jose Valenza. And he, he once, at one point in Mexico, was tattooing with another guy. And I was there, like, looking at his things. And I saw that the, because, you know, you have the stencils sometimes, like, that you will, if you're a tattoo artist, you will like, put them on your wall to show what you have done, right? right? And this guy on his wall, at some point, I saw a Nazi symbol. And I was like, no. I was like, I, I, I gave Tenku so much stuff. Like, I was like, dude, you don't. Like, he didn't do it. He wasn't my friend. But I was like, you tell your friend that that is just not okay. Like, mm -hmm. it's just not okay. Like, um, and I know that some tattoo artists will not. Like, they, 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 exactly. Like, they won't do things that, like, talking more about disrespect, right? Like, they won't do things that are, like, disrespectful. Um, but sadly, other ones would, right? Like, mm -hmm. um. So it, it's, I always talk to tattoo artists. I really like talking to them. One of the, the, the persons who wrote a chapter in that book is a tattoo artist as well. Mm -hmm. They have a very interesting, you know, series of, of codes and, and cultural things, right? 
Um, but like, I think mostly, besides the silly ones of like, they, a lot of tattoo artists want tattoo like names of couples. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yeah. like, never a good idea. <laughs> yeah. um, or like they want tattoo you if you're drunk, right? Obviously, also another one. Um, besides that, like in general, like I think they, I think their struggle is more silly, which is like when people, especially first time tattoo right. folks will come, they always want like a, something that is hyper significant. They're like, I want for this to mean this and this to mean this, which is interesting in terms of symbology, right? Like this and that. And they're like, okay, okay. Like and it's a lot. And it's like, okay, how big do you want it? <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. no man like it's not a gonna very happen. quiet statement though. yeah exactly it's like it's like if that happens it's gonna be your whole bag <laughs> so they have to always like push it like i think people are unrealistic sometimes um but yeah no no about that no in in i don't think there's that much of it um i think maybe the two artists are more like sometimes if they hear like the idea that they they think it's stupid mm-hmm. they'll be like no nah, i'm not doing that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well because it's the, you know you're gonna be a billboard or the person's going to be a billboard yeah. for their art. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dramatic change of subject. Okay. Creative writing. Yes. How do you teach creative uh, writing? I've always wondered, you know, as a, yeah. you know, as a professor, how do you, uh, how do you approach mm. like the beginning of the semester? And I'm, yeah. I want to teach the, are you teaching different styles or a way of uh, just trying to, find that voice within you? I mean, what what is your approach to teaching creative writing? That's a great question. I think, so again, not, not an expert on this, but as I understand it and discuss it with my English faculty friends, like, so in the US, we have this MFA tradition. And for a, for a long time, that has been the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it has marked American literature in, you know, I think in general, and again, it's not my expertise, but in general, like, you look at a successful writer in America, chances the the chances of that person not having gone through MFA are tiny, right? And that to me, besides, like I do like American literature, especially more like 20th and 19th century, but but that always makes me nervous. Homogeneity always makes me nervous, right? So when I teach creative writing, I try to you know not feel bad because I'm different. I come from a different place, but rather try to exploit it, right? So to me, it's a matter of like I can I want to teach and try to teach as much as I can the technicities of it. So it's like okay, so obviously we can talk about you know uh, setting, we can talk about characters, we can talk about dialogue, we can talk about things that are technical. But I also I'm a modernist. That's kind of like my period, and modernism is like just full of experimentation, mm-hmm. like crazy experimentation, right? And I I love that. I love things that break the mold. I love things that break rules, right? Obviously. Not in just like a dada way, but in a smart way, right? So what I when I taught it once, and I'm gonna do it next time, I try to like see it's kind of like when you're gonna cook something, right? Like you look at what you have in the fridge. And you're like, okay, so we have some mushrooms, we have some like heavy milk, we have some what can we do? Right. So I kind of look like that a little bit to my students. Like, what are they interested in? Right. Uh I like to give it kind of like a guideline. So like uh, as I do with my World literature classes that I give them themes like like uh, monsters or resistance or things like that. So last time I did was my guidance was Edgar Allan Poe. So I will make us read stories by Edgar Allan Poe as a parenthetical thing while they were writing their texts, right? Uh, so it will be like, okay, we write a text, we criticize. So that's kind of the regular structure of turn out workshop. all the lights couple dim candles that would be nice that would be nice but they they called me when i turn in the incense in my office there you Uh, go but like so so i I try to like let them like okay express yourself and let's do that Mm -hmm. and then like we look at poe a little bit another example Mm -hmm. and be like okay um what are they doing that we see here that that is working like there's a there's obviously there's a very technical aspect of it right you gotta understand narrative voice you gotta understand like scope you gotta understand focalization um, but I also want to see, you know, if somebody, and I had this, I have students who are into horror, like really, okay, let's, let's see what, 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 what are the staples of horror and how can we play with them? I have students who are into fantasy, same thing. Let's look at what are the staples of fantasy, right? I had one who was into sports. So let's look at what, what can we work with that? Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just about them. Like it's a chance for, for, for them to write mm-hmm. and to hear voices, right? And to hear a weirdo like me. Like, you just, like, give you, like, weird, like, advice, right? Um, but mostly it's, like, 
for them to be like, you know, I, I am, I do believe in effort a lot. I am very like that's my conservative side. I'm very much about effort right. and discipline. So I'm like, let's, you know, do write whatever you want. Just like work hard at it and like make sure that you are like, you know, looking at the right. angle and yeah. So that's kind of, but I, it's gonna be always a little of, like of jazz improvisation depending on of what course. they're uh, interested yeah. in. <laughs> but you know, just them uh, learning, you know, yeah, just having that, learn that voice. And there's a there's what you outlined with many technical things that they need to understand in order yeah. to be truly creative. Yeah, for uh, sure. Well, uh, someone graduating with an English major or comparative mm -hmm. uh, literature uh, major, what would be your advice for that that young person today in terms oh of God. leading? That's a, that's, well, that's a very good question. Um, it depends. I mean, I used to be like, you know, we're all mimetic creatures, right? So we kind of like, even if you don't want to, you, you kind of put yourself into people that are close to you, your students and so on, right? So it's very easy for professors to be like, well, if you're good in French, you can be me. Like, <laughs> do what I did, right? Uh, and I learned very quickly that that's not a good idea. Like, you got to be careful with that. Sometimes, like, we had a student, uh, she's still, she's finishing her PhD at Buffalo right now, who was really good at French. And, re and like, I truly, me and the, the other faculty member at the time, we believed that she should do a PhD, and, and we encouraged her. Um, but I have students who came, like, I want to do what you, I had students who came, like, I want to do what you do. And, and I had to really clearly specify to this person like what I did, and at the end, like thankfully, he didn't do it. Um, <laughs> or not, not, not anything related to that. But uh, I don't know. I think like if you love literature, like if you really, like if you're into the creative writing part, right? I would say yeah, do an MFA. Like like it maybe take a time before, but I think it is like I wasn't trying to trash them as like they're horrible. No, I think it's a great experience. I think it's good that there is some support to do that. Um, so that is a path that I would recommend if you are into creative writing. If you are into English more as an analyst and a theory person or like me, a scholar, then do a PhD for sure. Like mm -hmm. it's a master's and a PhD. Bearing in mind that anti-intellectual thing that I said, and that is going to be a rough, like, you know, like I, I always tell students, like if you are willing to go and do a PhD, right? And like knowing that the chances that you get an academic job at the end are like three percent, and that you you will have to get like an alternative. Like, but but you are going to enjoy six years or five years of reading stuff and talking ideas, and like it's gonna be it's gonna make you happy. Then by all means do it, and and you will learn other skills that probably you can use in something right. else, right? Um, but I think, and you are obviously more an expert on this than I am completely. But like I think, you know. I've heard, and there's data, I talked with Dr. Bill about it, like, you know, how much people with liberal arts degrees get, like, you know, if you want to make money immediately, like, you know, study welding, and you will right. get your, yeah, right? Immediately, but then in the in the long run, like, probably somebody who got a liberal arts degree will, like, pass you right. later, right? Um, so I think, like, as I understand it, like, you know, if, if doing an English degree or a comparative degree, it's just going to give you that critical thinking about how to read the world that will be really useful in many like realms, right? Like media, uh, human resources, like uh, uh, be a lawyer, could be a lawyer, lawyer, straightforward, right? Lawyer, market, you know, all kind of areas of marketing, advertising, you know, yeah. a lot of creative fields. Uh, if, if you learn another yeah. language, international relations, like yes. you could like you know move on to the. Some people want to. Uh, I was meeting some friends in in, in Denmark uh, two weeks ago, and like. I was talking about like they weren't there, but they were mentioning about Americans who work there right. in Europe, and he's like, "Yeah, you can do it. Like you, you know, learn the language and you can go and 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 do that." So, so that opens it a lot, right? But I think what I will say that is more important for me is that I think in the era of the internet and of you know not the internet that like you and me got to know like decades ago when we were like chat room and this yeah, is fun, right? Yeah, a little <laughs> dial up and wait. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, they, but the one that we live now yeah. with these like bubbles of like different worldviews that are completely, you know, the after January 6th kind of like situation, right? We need more than ever the, the, the ability to be able to read correctly the world, right? And to, and to distinguish like when we are being manipulated and when we are being like, not only because of like AI and things like that, but like just to understand like ideologies and like, you know, how the media creates these like hate circles, like 
and, and I think like an English or a literature major is the best thing to like be like, yeah, man, like, like understand, you know, when you are being manipulated because of your gender, because of your race, because of like, whatever it is that is like, you know, making you, um, you know, like we all live on ideology. Like we all, and by that I mean we all follow things that we don't understand completely, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, but that are part of ourselves, right? And we work through our lives, as you said, with, with your daughter, right? Like at the beginning, you obviously had a no, like a, a, yeah. a prejudgment against tattoos, right? But you, but you grow through it, and you're like, you understand? Oh, I, I learned and I understood that that she wanted to express herself, right? That's that's a more or less like innocent one. But there are other ones that are like not that innocent that we go through, um, and that kind of like I don't think like anything but literature and the arts, right? In general, are like, they are the best medium for us to like grow in that sense that takes us beyond what we'll call Heidegger would call like the technical way of being, right? Like the practical, like I need to do this, 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 which never is not introspective. Right. right? So I think, yeah, uh, I think in terms of career, like uh, a bachelor's is still kind of the beginning. So like from there, it depends what they do later. But I think that it gives them, if you do English or anything humanities related, it does give you this like great base to have an open mind Right, that if you if you just take your BA as a technical thing, or you're just gonna learn how to like mix compounds, or how to you know do something that is absolutely you know uh, um, non-human, right? Like non-humanistic. Uh, I think that's scary. I think that's what creates blindness in people. That then they, you know, in my in my classes sometimes I talk to students and and I try to we talk obviously about religion and, and things like that. And then when I'm like, okay, let's let's distinguish between like Catholicism and the Protestantism. And I see sometimes like this lack of knowledge of that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how could you be think so hard on something if you don't investigate it correctly, yeah. right? So yeah, that would be, but you're, you're more like the career expert. Is well, and, the, and <laughs> the thing that I never want is to turn lying into a trade school, yeah. you know, where, you know, my, my sole focus is landing students jobs and because then yeah it's it, yeah. it really i mean they they will find careers and the th interesting thing in doing this podcast we've talked to professors in a variety of majors uh archaeology anthropology yeah. is two that come to mind that have career meaningful career opportunities there much like those that yeah. major in english so it's not that I want everybody to come to line to either be a computer science, biology, or a business major. Yeah, There's yeah, so yeah. much more in the world and so much more yeah. opportunity. And then they can now follow something that they're going to be good yeah. at, they're going to enjoy, that they can make life mm -hmm. out of. So it's, uh, that's, yeah. that's what we all hope. Yeah, and I think like to you answer again, or I'll give you like another like thing about there about with the English majors, right? Like, what you're creating is somebody who focuses on language, right? Mm -hmm. And language, like the famous logos, right? Like that's kind of what guides us all of our interactions, right? So the more you know about it, and you and you know how to use it and how it's using you, right? I think the better. So and I yes, the careers are like infinite in that sense, right? Then it depends what you what you want to do like a little bit like you know if you i have a friend who went into like sports like like media right i have people who have gone into um like marketing and so right. on like or politics right like like please like as you know this is my my plea to say i'm I'm not a citizen yet but like I, I i tell all my friends who are citizens like please like if you can run for something like like serve in politics because we need it like otherwise just <laughs> the worst people do it and it's very scary, right. right? But but that's bad. Like, you know, like trying to help or, or find like nonprofits, right? right? Like there's a thousand things you can do, especially in a country that is as rich as this one. And especially in a country that also needs a lot of help, like to understand and question things and like, you know, why why is the richest country on earth and we have so much poverty? Like it's solvable, <laughs> like right? Like we just need to like think outside of the box in that. Absolutely. Gavin, any uh, last questions? Uh, no, not really. Sound <laughs> like you hear everything right, right in the well, head. I'm, I have one. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's well. a big one. Okay. Dramatic pause. <laughs> All right. You're getting your PhD in South Bend. Mm -hmm. How many times did you refer to the school as Notre Dame versus <laughs> Notre Dame as a, as a French scholar? I, I imagine that 
every day were you, kinda, were you walking around with clenched fists <laughs> yeah that's that's just really funny because what, where was it two days ago or three days ago i don't know where i was and somebody referring to the the cathedral somebody said yeah the cathedral of notre dame and i was like well, uh, doesn't they have touchdown Jesus in front oh of it? God, yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. No, but they were not talking about that one. That was the, the, the funny thing, right? Yeah, I think. No, I mean now I just do it because of uh, you know to distinguish it. Like, of what are course, you talking about, right? Yeah. Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Uh, but for a long time, yeah, I will. Like, it was a. I'm grateful up to a point, but it, but that is a freaky institution. Yeah, it's a yeah, and I do not like the president. <laughs> but that's like for another story. That's another <laughs> another podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, with that, Dr. James Martell, thank you for being on the Career thank Path you guys. podcast. Thank you. It was very fun. This broadcast is sponsored in part by Lion College and by Kilt Studios.